Hey, it's Chris, and today you're lucky. You're going to get two podcasts in one, kind of. I recorded last week's podcast, but I didn't quite get it up. Some of it's not going to be relevant anymore because it had to do with the upcoming WWDC. Now that that has passed, what I'm going to do is at the end of this week's podcast, I'm going to put in uh, the segments from the previous podcast that you guys haven't heard uh, in there so you can check them out because there was some interesting stuff um, that I think you'll enjoy. Today, though, is actually the day that I published my latest video. It's new iPad features. Why you'll love them, iPadOS 15. Now, I am usually one to do a practical thumbnail and not over edit it, whether that's in Photoshop or what have you. Some people, they have a contest and they have their Twitter followers do some work for them. Uh, some people, you know, have an editor. This is like one dude who's like a go-to editor for several YouTube channels, thumbnails. And, you know, I don't really go down the route. I usually prefer to do something practical in terms of just shooting a picture, making it a really nice representative picture and uploading it. Sometimes I put my face in, sometimes I don't. And the ones that I do put my face in, I kind of have a new template where um, I call it my info thumbnail. And so it has some text on it. I originally was going to put my text on the right side of the thumbnail but when i started well i uploaded one like that and i saw why immediately nobody does that who does do, do something like this because youtube puts how long the video is going to be down on the right over the thumbnail and kind of ruins your text there so it has to be on the left and it can't go all the way to the right and it doesn't look what right you know quite if it's centered so that's the reason why the info thumbnail that has some text which kind of gives me a second title ends up looking the way that it does, for those that were curious. For this one, uh, it was just me holding up the iPad with iPad OS on it, with the new background. And I, this one, I edited in that screen. I don't usually do that, but uh, the light, the glare on the iPad was like washing it out. So, you know, I did. I touched this one up just a little bit, but I think it, it turned out pretty good. It's getting some views already. It's ranking numbers two out of 10. So that's good. That's positive for me. That also means it's positive for the audience. You guys must be liking it because the algorithm, it does try to match content uh, that people should care about with the people that do care about it. So hopefully um, there's some value to be had here. Now, this is not a negative video about the iPad. In the video that I put out earlier in the week, it was kind of clarifying how I view Apple's view of the Mac and the iPad and the whole ecosystem in general, which was kind of an interesting uh, thought experiment. And it was really just me saying um, this is not prescriptive, meaning I'm not saying this is what I want or how people should view it. It was more meant to be descriptive, like, hey, here's how I see what's happening in the Apple world right now. I don't think that was really had a negative tone either. It was just kind of trying to clarify for people who were disappointed with iPad OS and not getting some specific features like pro apps, like external monitor support, uh, like multiple profiles, et cetera, et cetera. You know, just why? So this video, the one I put out today, it's um, a decidedly positive take on the features that we did get. And I've been having some people say like, hey, thanks for the positive take because everyone's just complaining. And as a consumer, I'm just interested in what I can do with this thing. And so, yeah, I mean, that was what this video was about. And I tried really hard in this one to be a value add and, and not just pair it. I, I never try to pair it, but not just say, here's these new features. I don't want to be a reporter. I never have. 
And my content always does worse if I forget my own rule of not being a reporter and just report things. That's never what I want to do. So in this one, I tried to just very briefly say, well, Apple came out with this, but then I tried to say, here's the context. Here's how it was in iPadOS 14. And then on top of that, here's uh, a new way of thinking about um, what this really means, this new feature for all the most important features. So I enjoyed putting it together. One of the comments that I did get though was, hey, you know, why aren't you showing off the beta? Uh, and instead, you know, I had some Apple footage that I showed and I had some screenshots from different things, but not my screenshots and no footage of the betas that I have loaded up on any of my devices. That's a fair question. And I think this will be kind of eye-opening for people. Someone was like, hey, thanks for just kind of talking about the process of the YouTube channel and some of the behind the scenes stuff. And so hopefully you guys enjoy this because uh, the beta, the developer beta has actually got included in it when you sign up for developer beta, an NDA, AKA a non-disclosure agreement. All the developers and the non-developers who sign up for a developer account who go in and agree to this agreement and download the beta stuff, they've technically agreed not to share that stuff until the public beta comes out. So me, Chris, I am out here playing by the rules, so to speak, um, and I'm waiting for the public beta. And I think there are some other channels out there that you'll also notice this with too, um, now that you know to look for it. And then you've got your other channels who either are ignorant of the fact that there's an NDA or are willfully ignoring it um, for some quick views or just to be the outlet or the person who got to discover something first and tell everybody about it. I admit that before this year, I was not aware of that NDA. And so I don't know if I published things uh, the right way in the past or not, but I am trying to be above board about things right now. And it's kind of tricky because... Um, I do feel the pull to, I've got the stuff sitting in front of me to, to do an early review and to give you my first impressions and tell you what I think about all these features um, in a more granular sense rather than kind of the big picture uh, that I had to do in this last video that I uploaded, which was still, there was value to be had there, right? But every time I see uh, Mac rumors or any number of people or sites, um, everything Apple Pro, for instance, just, you know, going through and publishing everything. Uh, you know, it does give you the uh, feeling of like, man, missing out a little bit. But what I'm not missing out on is the feeling of knowing that I'm doing things the right way for this uh, year and, and in this instance. So, but anyways, I just thought that'd be interesting for you guys to know because I was getting that question. Uh, why weren't you showing off the betas? So again, um, I will be showing off the betas, but I am waiting until the public beta, which is of course when you can get your hands on it too, but I will have had all this experience and time testing these things out uh, before that hits. And so, you know, by the time that you watch my content on the public beta, when you can check out the public beta, I should be able to have some really thoughtful things to say about it to help you navigate it and get more out of it. Another question that I got uh, was, I'm not sure if you guys saw this, Craig Federighi took some time out of his busy schedule to chat with several YouTubers. Um, and for those YouTubers who were given this amazing opportunity, which 
uh, I don't know how many people it was, maybe somewhere between like seven and 12 or something. I don't know. This was a really big deal for those channels and uh, congratulations to them. Uh, I saw some really interesting questions asked and I thought that um, out of the videos that I did get to watch, there was so many I haven't even been able to check them out. There were some good questions asked. So good job uh, to those creators. Uh, but the question that I've been seeing is, well, why didn't you get asked, Chris? I, I would like to see you interview Craig. And that's an answer uh, that I don't have for you because obviously I would love to do it. Um, and I saw channels with fewer followers than me. Uh, obviously, I have no actual insight into Apple's process uh, there. So the answer is, I don't know. But but congratulations to those who are given the opportunity. Before we get even further into the WWDC stuff, and then we can do some Chris stuff at the end, um, I just want to talk a little bit about Twitter Blue, which is their new, uh, it's their service that is a paid service that I've seen a lot of people complaining about that I haven't really had time to investigate until right now for the first time, actually, while I'm checking it out at, on the website uh, for this podcast, but I'm interested in. So a lot of people, basically the gist of the complaining has been, um, hey, I would have been willing to pay a decent amount of money per month for a premium Twitter subscription if they would just give me an edit button and get rid of the ads and I don't know what all. And But basically, people, it sounded like people really weren't getting anything near what they actually wanted and would be willing, they're willing to pay for. So I want to check it out. It's called Twitter Blue, their first ever subscription offering. And as I'm looking at it, one of the features that they're going to be charging for is bookmark folders. So it says, want an easy way to better organize your saved content? Bookmark folders let you organize the tweets that you've saved by letting you manage content. So when you need it, you can find it easily and efficiently. The thing is, okay, for me, and I am a big Twitter user, I've really been getting into lists lately because I just found out that you can pin your Twitter lists in the app, which then puts them at the top and makes them way more accessible. And I can't believe, I don't know how long it's been around, but I just now discovered that and I've been making a few lists uh, and I've just been loving that. But anyways, regarding the bookmarks, I already do that by sharing it to my mind, the my mind app once again, makes an appearance here on the podcast. I love it. It has an insane search. It's very private. Uh, and so anyways, that basically is irrelevant. For me, there is an undo tweet section here. It says typo, forgot to tag somebody, preview and revise your tweet before it goes live. With undo tweet, you can set a customizable timer of up to 30 seconds to click undo before the tweet reply and blah, blah, blah. So yeah, I guess uh, it's not really an edit button like everyone's been asking for forever. Reader mode. Now, this is the one thing that kind of intrigues me. Reader mode provides a more beautiful reading experience by getting rid of the noise. We're making it easier for you to keep up with the long threads on Twitter by turning them into easy to read text so you can read all the latest content seamlessly. Basically, I think what I've seen a lot of people doing is kind of taking an article, like a blog post or something that they've written, and kind of breaking it up, distilling it into little chunks, and then tweeting it into you know a tweet thread. And I think what this does is basically it gets rid of the formatting that makes it look like these are separate tweets and just kind of makes it look more like an article again, which is kind of funny. It comes full circle. I saw somebody say that time is a flat circle the other day. That really intrigued me. And the more I thought about it, I was like, hmm, I, I like that. That's interesting. Uh, but it's five bucks and, and or around five bucks. And that's what it does. That's it right there. So um, it doesn't even get rid of ads. It doesn't look like unless I missed something. But basically, yeah, it, it looks pointless, which is kind of disappointing. So there's my very brief Twitter blue assessment for you. One thing that's interesting 
about some of the stuff that was announced was that Apple uh, will let AirPlay now work between multiple Macs. And what that's going to allow is for wireless screen sharing. And guess who confirmed it? It was Mac rumors. Uh, I already mentioned them earlier today uh, specifically, but since it's now become public knowledge. So back in the day, Apple had this thing called target display mode and it would let you do the same thing. It would let you use uh, a different Apple computer with a screen uh, as a, a display instead of a computer. And so if you, you know, if you had like an old computer, an old iMac, let's say, and you got a new computer, maybe a MacBook, and you wanted to use your iMac as an external display because it's just sitting there now and it's older, then that was a pretty cool thing. Well, that's been gone for a while, but apparently this is going to get us pretty close to being able to have the same functionality. I think that's kind of cool because it'll breathe new life into some old devices. It doesn't make sense at all to buy a brand new iMac and buy a different kind of a Mac and then use them together like this because then you might as well just get a monitor. But, you know, specifically for older things, I think that's pretty neat. I never know how much attention people are paying to WWDC, you know? Do you guys sit there like I do and and watch the whole event or do you just kind of tune in to see what's being tweeted about uh, or are most people at work and just kind of see the news stories? I, I never know. So I was watching and I, I really like that new live text feature which, you know, it, it just searches for information, you know, like words, addresses, phone numbers within photos. So you could take the photo or you could just have a photo on your device, like iOS or on your Mac. And then let's say you took a picture in front of a restaurant and it had the name in the back and the phone number. Well, you could click on that phone number or you could just without doing anything else, just reach up and tap uh, and select that text and copy it or look up you know, what it meant, the definition. It's really pretty cool. Just cool technology on its own. Very similar to Text Sniper, actually, who was a sponsor recently. You know, I don't know. They're probably not super happy with it um, because there's this term that uh, is called Sherlocking. So uh, it has to do with an app from a long time ago and the name stuck where Apple kind of copies the functionality of a particular app and just bakes it into their system. So... I don't know. You know, Google kind of did this already with like Google Lens. Uh, so I don't know if Apple was kind of more competing with that versus with an app that was already on their platforms. But needless to say, though, it, it, it's really nice. It is convenient to have it baked in. Somebody pointed out uh, a use for this that I had not even thought of, you know, and that was that you could digitize your handwritten like post-it note type of notes. So not handwritten stuff that would just be on your iPad, you know, with QuickNote, but a real sticky note that you put somewhere you can just take a picture of it and then it becomes searchable it becomes manipulatable is that a word speaking of words so it just becomes a lot more useful in the digital realm and alternatively i think you may not even have to take a picture of something correct me if i'm wrong but you can just hold up your viewfinder basically and then manipulate text that's just within the camera and do something with it. That's pretty cool. I had one comment in today's video that was talking about uh, they wished more YouTubers or more people were talking about Apple's privacy features. <laughs> but I think they were they were specifically just, you know, thinking everyone's talking about all the whiz bang new features. And, you know, oftentimes the privacy features kind of get pushed to the back. There was a lot of interesting privacy features. You can uh, have unlimited 
just random emails that you can give out now that will forward to your real email address that can basically be disposable. That's pretty cool. Apple kind of has a new VPN killer. I say kind of because I haven't looked into all the details myself. I don't know if it's really acting like a VPN or if it's kind of different but has different technology, same effect. I don't really know. But but anyways, designed to keep you more uh, your connection more private, even from Apple. And that's neat, but you got to use Safari. And there's even something for mail that's going to help get rid of those tracking pixels, which you may or may not be aware of. Just little pixels that let advertisers know, did you open or, or, you know, their email or didn't you, which has the newsletter industry uh, kind of all upset, it looks like. But some of these features you're going to actually end up having to pay for. Now, Apple said that the pricing for iCloud is not going to change. So that was good. But that was their way of also saying you're going to need to pay for Uh, some of these features like that VPN style feature, you have to be a paying iCloud member. It's iCloud plus now. It's just what they're calling a paid plan in order to take advantage of it. So like with the Verge is saying, uh, I see their article here about it. They're saying that Apple's promise is that they will protect your privacy or their pitch. Let's say their pitch, not their promise. Only if you pay. Now, granted, I think the plans start at what? 99 cents, right? For a paid plan. And as long as you're paying that monthly, you're, you got it the full feature set there. So in particular, the features I'm talking about here are private relay. That's the VPN kind of thing that hides your activity and the new hide my email features. Those two are coming to iCloud plus. And what does that make them? That makes them premium privacy features. And isn't that an interesting way to think about it? Because, you know, uh, Apple does tend to sell what people consider to be premium products. Some people say, oh, Apple's just adding in an Apple tax uh, in terms of just, hey, other people are selling something similar, but Apple's going to charge you more. Well, that's not the debate we're getting into or the waters that we're wading into right now. It's just that uh, Apple is known for nice stuff that just works and, and you can maybe pay a premium for that, which of course is just an option. You don't have to, but a lot of people like to because they like the premium experience. So really... It kind of makes sense that Apple would, you know, have premium privacy features. Um, Some stuff is not something that you have to pay extra for, but you're already paying plenty for if you just get an iPhone, for instance. But Apple's offering services. You know, they have apps, they have services. And some of those, a lot of those, all of those have paid tiers now. You know, you have to commend Apple's uh, coming up with these interesting new products. I think the the shot across the bow for VPNs was that when somebody does sign up for a VPN to hide their information, then that's a lot of trust that they're putting in that company. So you're not hiding necessarily your information from the VPN that you're using, right? But you're hiding it from your internet service provider, let's say. So Apple's like, well, that's a lot of trust to put in that one entity, which actually may or may not really have your best interests at heart. Now, I guess while we're at it, we could just say, you know, some people use a VPN to like get around country restrictions, uh, geographic restrictions stuff. You can't do that with Apple's offering. And like I think I mentioned, it only works with Safari. So personally, I think it's cool. I think it's glad I'm glad that it's here uh, and the hide my email thing. That's cool. The problem with some of the stuff is like sign in with Apple. I really like that. I know some developers have been unhappy with it. I'm not a developer, so I can't really speak to that. But as a consumer, I love seeing uh, the Apple pay button. It's just so easy to go in, select the card that I want and the, the address and boom, it's like done. It's too easy almost. And sign in with Apple you know, I, I like one password because 
you know, that's just a pretty solid service. And I forget what I even used to use before. It's been so long now. Uh, but Apple's obviously going the way of, uh, they're laying the foundation to get rid of passwords altogether, which is cool. It's going to happen in a while though, but those steps are being laid. But I like signing with Apple. The problem is though, it's hard to like shift away from things because, you know, since I do use one password, it's like using a competing system to use sign in with Apple um, as well, because I've already created a login somewhere and I would prefer to use the sign in with Apple that hides the email and all that stuff. But, you know, Apple came late to the party with that. So it's a big pain to, you know, you kind of have two systems and whatever. So in theory, like these are all really cool things, but in practice, like it's kind of tricky to, to actually switch over to all these new things, even if you want to. And you like to. Should I just address the elephant in the room here real quick? I, I'm seeing it everywhere. Just everywhere. People being disappointed with iPadOS. And I haven't really come out and said I'm disappointed with iPadOS. Really. Uh, in my content. But everyone else seems to be. And I know I have a huge sh- chunk of people who are iPad users and fans. Uh, and, and beyond that, who tend to kind of sway towards the productivity and and even beyond that to maybe the pro spectrum side of the spectrum for the iPad. So I guess I can just say something about that. I saw somebody put out a video talking about iPad Pro Rage or why you're mad about the iPad, if not the iPad Pro. I, I haven't watched the video. And I have a feeling that that video may have basically said, well, look, Apple didn't promise pro apps and Apple didn't promise external monitor support and Apple didn't promise, Apple didn't promise. And so if there's any reason to be disappointed, that's something that you basically manufactured for yourself because you let yourself listen to rumors or influencers and share their opinions and ideas. And you, you know, Apple never promised, basically. (laughs) That's just a guess. I feel like I did really talk about this idea of the Mac and the iPad not necessarily being kind of products, but actually the ecosystem, the Apple ecosystem being the prime product, the main product for Apple these days to the point where maybe the Mac and the iPad are more like features. I talked about that at length in a recent video. And I also talked about whether or not Apple itself, not me, not Chris, but Apple uh, views the iPad and the Mac as competitors or as complementary. And in my video, I kind of concluded, if you missed it, that, well, they're more complementary. And I pointed out that on Apple's website, there's a way to compare different Macs versus each other. There's a way to compare different iPads versus each other, but there's not a way on Apple's website to compare a Mac versus an iPad because I think that's strong evidence that uh, that in combination with this new universal control that uh, Apple, you know, simply views these as complementary devices, not competitive devices, which doesn't necessarily reflect, I don't think, how consumers view them. I think a big chunk of consumers do see them as competitors and that they only want to have to buy one kind of main device other than an iPhone. They can do everything they want, whether that's work or, you know, relaxing, you know, watching some Netflix or something. They, they just wanted to do everything. You know, I know, I think I was, I was convinced. I convinced myself and, you know, for better or worse, hopefully not other people if they were making buying decisions on this. And if so, I apologize, I guess. Uh, I've learned some lessons here too this round, but I was just sure that Apple was going to, uh, with the 16 gigs, with two terabytes, with Thunderbolt, give us more than we got. You know, I think it's frustrating for people because you, you look at the components and it's like it's like bricks. They're there to build the building, 
but instead they've used them to build something else, uh, a walkway. They've paved a walkway or something and they've built out horizontally instead of building up or something. You know, it's like the iPad has the capabilities, obviously, to do more than it can do, but Apple is not headed in that direction. And I think I'm just, you know, uh, as a somebody who's steeped in this world, um, probably beyond what just a normal person is, it's like, you know, I eat, sleep, and breathe this stuff to make the content about it. And because I enjoy it, for me, I can say, I, I think, yes, I'm, I'm a bit disappointed. Um, but it's hard to be, uh, you know, a thousand percent disappointed that, for instance, I can't get Final Cut Pro on the Mac right now. And uh, I'm kind of giving up, I think, on, on that actually coming, at least for now. And same thing with external monitor support, uh, kind of giving up on that at the moment. But at the same time, you know, it's like, why wouldn't Apple see these as complimentary? You know, of course they do. Uh, you know, although people, a lot of people were pointing out, hey, Steve Jobs would never do this uh, because he had a quote about he wanted to be the one to put one of his other products out of business rather than wait for somebody else to do it. Of course, we're in a place where nobody comes close to touching what an iPad does or can do or the experience or you know, a Mac is still very different because of Mac OS than any Windows machine out there. And so there's not really that threat of somebody um, that's going to supplant the iPad for what it is, you know. And, and so Apple isn't being pushed by competition, really, to, you know, they're not worried about someone ousting the iPad as the leader, you know. So that leaves them in a place where they can say, hey, let's make these complimentary and see what they can do, like with universal control. And I, I got to say while there is disappointment, I was sitting there and looking at Universal Control during the announcement and saying, whoa, that's really cool. That was unexpected. And just from a tech perspective, that is really cool. So getting back to the idea of, you know, somebody maybe saying, well, hey, it's not Apple's fault. If you're disappointed, that's your fault for basically building it up to be something that it wasn't or was never going to be in your own head. Well, the answer to that is you're right but I'm not happy about it. And that unhappiness, and there's a lot of it out there. I mean, I can see. It's just not a good feeling, right? To to not be happy about it. Uh, and it gets back to that whole Ford saying that I, I bring up so often. You know, somebody said to Henry Ford, or he was telling somebody, if I had asked people what they wanted, they would have said faster horses. And he was intent on building a car, and so people don't always know the best was the lesson there. So, you know what? I don't know. Maybe I don't know the best. Uh, and and certainly there is an ecosystem. Things like LumaFusion are getting better for the video editors out there. I'm not sure what it's like um, for the Logic users if they have something that is kind of, uh, you know, like LumaFusion is to Final Cut Pro. Is there something like that for Logic on the iPad that, you know, in three or four years is going to be good enough to actually use. I don't know. Apple brought uh, not Xcode to the iPad, but they added some capabilities to their app that teaches Swift coding so that you can build and publish an app from there. Um, so, you know, they didn't give people exactly what they're looking for, um, but they gave them something. So that's my answer. Ooh, one thing I'm really excited for is this. I'm reading off of the macOS Monterey features page, okay? This is a feature that no one's really talking about, but I'm really excited for. It says, you can now erase all contents and settings. 
From system preferences, now users have an option to erase all user data and user-installed apps from the system while maintaining the operating system currently installed. Because storage is always encrypted on Mac systems with Apple Silicon or the T2 chip, the system is instantly and securely erased by destroying the encryption keys. This is cool because if you've ever had to sell a Mac um, or erase it and let somebody else use it, for instance, uh, for me, sometimes I have something and it's time to sell or, or let it go so I can get something new. It's such a pain, or it was, I should say, to have to erase everything, reinstall the operating system, and get it you know back and ready to go. This is more like the iPhone, in that you can just go into the settings and say erase all content and data, and it's much quicker and faster and easier. So that's a nice little thing in Mac OS Monterey. I'm pretty excited about this. It's not something you're gonna use every day, but when you need to use it, you're gonna be really excited. Oh, here's something else we can talk about before I get to the last podcast content of next week. It's almost like unearthing a buried treasure. Mac OS and tvOS are now getting spatial audio. There's been a lot of audio announcements. The lossless announcement, the spatial audio announcement. I've been checking out before we get to tvOS getting it, which is my main thing that I want to talk about. I've been checking out spatial audio with some interesting headphones, and that's all I'm going to say about them. I, I don't know. I feel like the jury's out for me on those. It's a lot different than spatial audio when I'm watching Star Wars, for instance, like The Mandalorian on the iPad and it kind of glues the audio source to the iPad. So that if you turn your head, it sounds like the audio is still coming from the iPad. It's really interesting. I like it a lot, but when it comes to music, I've been having a lot more trouble distinguishing, uh, from, from Apple samples, because if you go into Apple music, if you turn it on, you go into Apple music, there's, they've got several playlists of spatial audio stuff and, and including some guides that kind of turn it on, turn it off so that you can listen to it and hear the difference. Hopefully and man, I was listening to it and I had to re-listen to one of those guides twice and I just haven't been able to really discern the difference all that much. And I saw Jonathan Morrison talking about, uh, who's obviously very, getting very into music, right? Or has been. Uh, so I trust his opinion probably more than the average person about it. And he was saying, well, it depends. You got to really be using the right mix. And because mm, it's not for every song, right? I, I just haven't been able to really tell that much of a difference. Sometimes stuff feels a little bit punchier or it washes over your ears a little bit differently. But by and large, uh, and I, I really need to try them with my AirPods Max uh, because I haven't tried them out with those yet. It's just been a, a little underwhelming for me. And maybe that's why they're not charging anything extra. I don't know. They're making a big deal out of it. But anyways, I'm excited for TVOS to get spatial audio because it's not really the music in spatial audio that has me all that excited yet. I hope that my mind changes and maybe I'll get back to you on it. But Watching content with, you know, like a movie or something, a TV show with spatial audio, that is really fun. I, I like that. And it didn't come to tvOS originally. And one of the reasons had to do with just tracking. And it turns out that they're bringing it and the way that they're going to track uh, where your head is so they can perform the spatial audio is they're just kind of going to kind of guess. So if you start playing some stuff on your Apple TV and you've got your headphones connected, then Apple's going to say, okay it looks like the headphones have been facing the same way for a while. And they're going to assume that you're looking at the TV or the content source. And that's how they're going to be able to gauge um, how to deploy those sound effects around your head virtually, which I thought was really cool. Okay. Um, I could talk about more. I just see we're approaching an hour of recording time, which means I'm going to bear it way back. So it'll probably be, uh, what's my guess? You'll, you'll look at your thing and see if I'm right. Somewhere around 32 minutes by the time I get this, pared down it's 49 minutes right now 
And what I'm going to do is um, give you those extra podcast segments from last week, uh, which was before WWDC. And it'll just be kind of a bonus. And I'm glad that you discovered them and that they're not going unheard and unedited. Hey, it's Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Now, this is an interesting week. It's almost time for WWDC. As I'm recording this, this is Friday evening-ish. Let me tell you guys a little story about my iPad Pro review. Now, this review took me a long time to put together and actually got a slower start than I was expecting in the views department, uh, considering I tried to pack it full of a bunch of info. Sometimes you get this gut feeling when you put out a video and you're like, this is going to do good. I know it's going to do good. Just when you're recording it, even you got this energy like, yeah, you just feel it. This is going to do good. I didn't really have that feeling as I was making this, but yet it was the iPad Pro. iPad stuff's been killing it on the channel. And I was like, oh, it's going to do good no matter what. I'm putting in some really useful content here. And, you know, it got a slow start. But it was not just um, a matter of, like, timing, getting it going that contributed to the slowness. Part of it was it just felt like every little thing that had to do with this video was getting slowed down. Um, The Samsung X5, it's a Thunderbolt 3 drive that I ordered that I wanted to feature in this video. And I, I've mentioned it several times in videos, maybe here on the podcast, because in my mind, that's like the nicest go-to uh, Thunderbolt drive for an iPad user. So I finally pulled the trigger, ordered it. I paid for uh, fast shipping and it got delayed. And so that was one thing. And I, I didn't want to publish the video without including that because I do like to keep things as useful as possible. And I wanted to tell you guys about it. Um, and not just tell you about it, but show you what it looks like. And, and, you know, if there's any issues, report those like there was with the G raid, the 12 terabyte G raid drive, which I'm not going to spoil if you haven't seen the video, whether that worked or not, but it's crazy though. Uh, how just every little thing I felt like it was in the Bermuda triangle. Do you guys ever have a day or a project that feels like that where you're working on something, you could even be really excited about it, but just thing after thing just kind of doesn't come together for it just right. And uh, that was sort of this video. And it's why I only got one video out this week because uh, it was a complicated one. I wanted to include a bunch of stuff. I had to do a bunch of comparisons with screens, with different iPads. You know, I was working with like four different iPads trying to set up comparisons. And um, yeah, I don't know. It was just a beast. And this comes back to, I know there are channels out there and I fluctuate myself that kind of just for lack of a better term, just poop out the content, you know, um, just video after video, knowing that some will be good more like hit content, let's say, and some will be, you know, bad, I guess it's just not going to do good, but it's just a numbers game really. And if you put out enough, you're going to have, uh, lots of, or more, you know, good videos and the bad ones, they just don't really matter. And if you take more time on a video, I've found and you put more time into filming the B-roll, you put more time into the script, trying to make it more information dense, trying to make it as useful as possible, then if it's a week like this and you only get one video out, if it's not a good video, if it doesn't do good, it really kind of shoots yourself in the foot. And I feel like I sort of did that on the channel this week because, you know, it's kind of like throwing stuff up on the wall, seeing what sticks, and you just, even at this point, I, I can't tell you like that I can guarantee X amount of views for any video. Just being honestly, I, and I tell sponsors this sometimes too, like 
you know, look, this is a more popular subject and we're hitting it at the right time, but I can't come and guarantee that it's going to get a hundred thousand views or 500,000 views, you know, some videos, despite all your best effort, you know, they're just not going to do as good. So that was this week, which is funny because I had the product in hand, lots of the product in hand. Uh, I really do feel like it was a good video, but there's nothing to whine or complain about. It's just like WWDC is coming up. It's going to be a great week for the channel and I'm going to enjoy it, which is the best part, you know, when the last Apple event hit and I just did a bunch of informational videos, someone said they were kind of almost more podcast like because I didn't have the product in hand. And it was really just a lot of screenshots and screen recordings. And I don't always enjoy those videos when I see other people make them because, you know, it's the same thing that's available to me to just go on the website or and, and look at a video. And but it's the information. Sometimes it's the way it's arranged and the insights and the opinion that matters. But for me, at least sometimes it gets old seeing that same kind of video. But I made a lot of those. Um, because I think they're, they are useful. Like for instance, before I even had them just based purely on information and my past experience as an iPad person, I compared the iPad air to the new, uh, 2011 iPad pro. And it's a very popular video. And if I just cared about views, I would just make comparison after comparison like that without even having any product in front of me that of course, that's not what I love to do. I do like to have the product and tell people about it. But for that recent Apple event though, I made a bunch of content and a lot of it did very well. And so in my world, it all evens out, you know, one way or another, fortunately, which is good. But I can say I've had some interesting opportunities sliding into my inbox, coming across my desk in the form of new apps to test, beta stuff to test, stuff that hasn't been, uh, you know, announced. Um, some products, I'll just say uh, at least one, if not more, not from a source that you would expect necessarily. And yet from a source you'd be very excited about, I've got some early products. The problem with early products is like, it's good because companies want to give you the chance to check something out before it's ready. And in the past, I've often complained like, man, so-and-so and so-and-so, they got a product early and it's not fair because then when the embargo lifted, they were just able to publish their video. And here I either have to order something, wait for it to come, or, or sometimes I'll get my press sample like later and I'm just behind, but all the attention's already been given to these early videos. And I guess I'm kind of a crybaby one way or another, it sounds like. But the thing about having these products, you know, early is then kind of the opposite kicks in and you're like, oh, I got it early. Well, there's no need to rush it. Uh, but if you unbox something and get that all filmed and, and then just sit on it, that's hard for me to do too. And so I like to capture that enthusiasm the first time, but also I want to you know, on camera, but also it's hard to wait. And if you've got something crazy sitting in front of you, you want to unbox it and use it and test it. And, um, and so I'm constantly kind of like fighting. Do I want to personally experience this? <laughs> Cause I do. And I've got it early or should I properly do it the right way? Wait and experience it for the first time on camera. So everyone can do it. You know, but then sometimes that requires planning ahead. Cause you've got a different video to shoot that day. You know, you know, what's funny as I'm realizing as I'm, as I'm saying this, there's always something that you can complain about. <laughs> Even if uh, you are at a place where previously you would have been like, wow, uh, that person just has everything they need or something, you know, whoever it is, whatever a, a mentor in your field might have or do or be, and you're not quite there yet. It's like, as I've, you know, ascended different rungs of the YouTube space, um, and, and met new people and contacts um, that were important for the business or 
uh, just passed certain milestones or made more money or something. It's just like, you know, there's always something you can complain about. And it all comes down to your attitude, really, more than anything. I don't know. This podcast episode is going to be all over the place. But I always come back to just persistence. It's the main thing that matters, honestly. If you care about something, just persisting. Because if you don't really care about something, you won't persist. That's just the way that it goes. Uh, If you hate it, uh, if you try something and you find out, oh, it's not really for me, then you won't persist. But if you do really care about something, you will persist uh, enough to find success or to find an avenue to success, even if it's not the avenue that you thought it was. But there, honestly, there is or could be always something to complain about. You get more employees, for instance, well, then guess what? Payroll and, you know, uh, more administrative tasks. You know, there's just no silver bullet for life or work that takes all the pain out of it. So it is really like they say, no pain, no gain. Speaking of pain and hopefully gain, I set up a bunch of the Elgato wave panels. I think that's what they're called. The sound foam that I bought several weeks ago uh, here in the studio. So it's funny. I'm using the same mic that I use right now. that You see the mic arm in the YouTube videos for the podcast. And I'm listening, I'm monitoring it in the headphones, and I don't really hear an echo, which is good. Well, maybe just very, 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 very slight. I've got these panels on all the walls except for the wood wall behind me because I didn't want them in the shot. And I'm going to change up some of the camera angles uh, for the next week uh, to kind of cut out those side walls because that's where I've got those panels. Not that there's any problem with having them there, and I did my best to make them symmetrical. It feels a lot more professional in here, though. That's for sure. I've got 18 of these little hexagons. The eventual goal, like I've said, is to get rid of this mic arm uh, or just use this mic for just a podcast. But but on video, get back to uh, using a shotgun mic, um, the one that actually Jonathan Morrison recommended, to get the mic out of the shot and once again look more professional. Although this is kind of the look that streamers like, you know, but somebody is, speaking of always complaining, there's so many comments that hate this table with this wrap that hate the arm that the mic's on. Either it's ugly or it's pointing weird or wrong or uh, they they just can't stand it. There's always something like somebody can't stand. If you're going to be on YouTube and in front of people, uh, you just have to deal with that or more like ignore it most of the time. But mm, I got that new C1 TV set up. I have some interesting thoughts for you. The old TV that I was using before was a 65-inch Vizio. I forget the model. But the picture wasn't so great on the, on the Vizio, unfortunately. One thing about it was that it was more of a matte screen. This LG screen, it's really reflecty. And so, you know, you get the nice deep blacks, but you also get some pretty good reflections from the glossy screen. And so i got to consider maybe moving that. Switching gears on you guys, I thought maybe it'd be kind of interesting this week, aside from all the WWDC and Apple stuff, to just talk a little bit about what it's like as a YouTuber to be in a press briefing because that's something that happens uh, for me fairly consistently during different times of the year. So, you know, different manufacturers will uh, reach out and say something like, hey, uh, we've got a product coming out. Can you agree to an embargo? That's usually how it starts. And sometimes it's a product company just don't care about so you either ignore it or you say no but once you agree to that embargo if it's something that sounds interesting 
because if it's not interesting, all you did was agree not to tell anybody about it <laughs> until uh, the embargo lifts. Then you will find out what it is. And oftentimes what they'll do is send over kind of like a reviewer's kit, like a reviewer's guide. Sometimes it's a PDF. If you get a product in real life, oftentimes companies will go to the trouble of printing up like a booklet or, uh, you know, this sounds really official. So- sometimes it is like a, a little book. And other times it's actually just a few sheets of something. And companies, they are always trying to do their best to control the narrative uh, of how their products are talked about, perceived, um, their position in the market. All of that is going into um, how these PR firms kind of interact with YouTubers. So this is going to be a little bit of inside baseball for you guys. Now, you should know any YouTuber worth their salt, and hopefully... I don't want to speak for you, but, you know, my personal ethics statement is that I'm going to have an opinion and I'm going to tell you guys about that opinion. Some companies will try to, you know, tell you, uh, hey, you know, there's like I had one manufacturer actually that that approached me today about a product that they're sending. And they're like, hey, you know, there's this little defect on the product, but this is an early product. Can you kind of not mention that in the video? Um, so you do get these interesting little things that do happen like that. And at that point, you kind of just have to <laughs> let these PR people know, well, look, you know, this is not a sponsored video. So uh, and, and even if it was, you know, if something is amiss or awry, it needs to be talked about if it's important enough enough to be talked about, of course. But the the press people often try to uh, finagle an angle. The best companies, though, they will just kind of present you uh, with features and the benefits and some slick videos, uh, maybe some pictures and stuff. You know, oftentimes I get to see demos that uh, I and, and, you know, they'll ask you, like, don't record this. Right. This is private. uh, So don't like screen record. Don't take photos or videos with your phone. But, yeah, it's fun to be able to be you know, seeing some demos of things uh, that just the public doesn't get to see, I guess, and and ask questions. That's a big benefit for as a YouTuber um, to these press briefings, because not every press briefing do you actually want to attend, but it's often like a chore. And sometimes it's kind of like you're not going to get the product if you don't at least agree to attend this 15 or 30 minute meeting um, because the company wants to make sure if they're getting you this thing ahead of time that at least you're informed about it uh, before you go spout off about it, I guess. But uh, I've had several briefings this year, and every one of them is unique. Every one of them is different. Sometimes I'm just amazed by whatever the company is, their production skills, um, just the time that the people putting on the briefing have taken to learn things, get familiar things themselves uh, to, to produce like amazing, you know, presentations basically for a handful of people. Sometimes that happens. Other times it's very underwhelming. And other times it's like, what, what world am I living in? Am I taking part in here? Because, you know, I remember when I was just in the garage and built myself a little, you know, eight by eight YouTube studio and, uh, had no connections, knew nothing about how to even run a camera 
was getting comments about, hey, get some headspace <laughs> because I just uh, didn't know, you know, where to stand even in front of the camera. I still remember all of that. And then sometimes I'll find myself in a press briefing and oftentimes all the cameras are off, right? Because you just pop in and everything is muted and most people don't turn their cameras on. Although sometimes they're like, hey, can you turn the camera on so we can have kind of a dialogue and, and people feel more friendly or whatever. But I was in a press briefing the other day and here were all these names of people who I still consider kind of uh, legends in the space that uh, I'm not on that level even. People like Marquez, for instance. Um, just sometimes it's not even the actual YouTuber. It's like an employee of theirs that shows up that you recognize the name that's sitting in on a press briefing for them. And it's just crazy. And I was looking around at all the names. There's like 99 people in this one because uh, they must have included YouTubers and actual press people. And when you think about it, um, you know, from my perspective, I'm like a U.S. YouTuber. But when a company, an international company is launching a product, they're not just reaching out to U.S., you know, influencers or whatever you want to call us. There's people all over the world uh, that would qualify as a YouTuber that is going to reach a totally different audience. And so in this one briefing that was last week, which has nothing to do with what's coming up next week, just so you know, there was like 99 people or maybe it was 99 plus. Can't remember. Maybe that was just all the software account. Yeah. There was a lot of names that I didn't recognize a lot of names that I did recognize. And it was just like, man, this, uh, this really, it was a point of self-reflection. It was like, you know, this is something special that I get to be part of. And, uh, I'm just was like kind of thankful for that because I don't consider myself some big star or, or influencer especially when compared to other people. But at the same time, it's like, no, things are like really good. And, and it is cool to have gone from nothing to have built this up from scratch and then be able to share the same virtual space as these larger names. For me, it's still larger than life, you know? Um, so there was a different briefing that I was in. And sometimes it's not just a briefing. Sometimes it's like, uh, hey, we're going to send this out to you. Do you have like 15 minutes to just hop on Zoom or something with the co-founder uh, so that they can walk you through the market position and how they view, you know, uh, where they are versus the competition and um, things like that. And sometimes that happens. I had a meeting like that this morning and that was actually pretty interesting. Not so much about the product because what, what the PR people don't always understand is like, look, I'm just going to get this and give my opinion on it. <laughs> um, but there is something to the human element, like we talked about in the last podcast, uh, just making a connection with people and um, not just treating them like a, a source for something. Me, as the YouTuber, treating this company or person um, as a source, something to get, and being able to connect and taking the time to talk and interact, ask questions, um, be thoughtful, and, and learn about something. And... Uh, this was cool. So I guess I won't tell you what it was just to not spoil it. But um, I was able to see not only the product that was headed my way, which I'm excited about. Actually, I think it's sitting in the, the PO box right now. Got to go pick it up. But I like picking it up in the morning because then I can also grab a coffee. I try not to have too much caffeine after two. But I also got to see a preview of an unreleased product. It was crazy. Um, so the person I was talking to is a co-founder of this company they were talking to me and they're like, oh shoot, I don't have this in front of me. And I could see them typing. And then like, I don't know, 30 seconds later, someone pops in through the door with this other prototype. Uh, it was just kind of funny. And there it was, and there's this new product that's not even announced yet. 
um, and, you know, get to see it. Number one, that was cool. Ask some questions about it. And then also just be able to like shoot the breeze a little bit. Hey, what do you think about WWDC coming up? Um, and it's interesting to see the, the forethought that this was an, an accessory maker for an Apple product. Actually, it's interesting to see sometimes the thought process that goes into the decisions that lead to the products being the way that they are. Sometimes it's, it's not at all what you would expect, you know, why a certain hinge was used on something. Uh, well, because they were planning for the future for a future version of a product, kind of future proofing their accessory design, um, for what they suspect might be coming down the pipeline in the future, even though they had no inside information about it. It's just very, very interesting. Because it's like, as excited as I get about, let's say, an Apple product, and not just that, but being able to share my enthusiasm with my audience, with you guys, through the podcast or through the YouTube channel, there are these people making these products who are that enthusiastic about their products as well. And they get giddy when they get to share that with somebody like me too. And actually, sometimes these meetings and these press briefings, I don't like, and it feels like kind of a chore sometimes. But there are other times when I was like, you know, I wish I could have more time in the day actually to talk to interesting people from around the world. Um, I was talking to somebody that now, and sometimes this happens for like sponsors too. Like I really do care about uh, the sponsors that I present on the channel and I want to only present things that I, you know, would use myself uh, or care about myself. And so I was having a meeting with one of the sponsors um, for, for an upcoming video and they're from the other side of the world. And to be able to, you know, in my normal life, I never meet somebody from over there to interact and talk. And after we're done talking about, uh, you know, the product, the sponsorship, just be like, oh, what's, you know, what's this like and that like over there. And you kind of get some friends made around the world. And it is fun. It's a privilege uh, to be in that position, I guess. Sometimes, uh, getting back to the press briefings, sometimes uh, big companies will have multiple sessions of a brief, I can tell. And you get invited to certain ones, and sometimes they group people together. I think they're very uh, aware of, cognizant of, the people that get invited to certain groups. Maybe. I can't prove that. But oftentimes, uh, if you know something's going down because you're invited and you see like a few other big names in your session, but it's not everybody that you would expect to be there. And you know, there's a few other sessions happening, but sometimes they keep the session small, depending on the company, um, to have more of a focused group. And um, the best companies will run through stuff very efficiently, very quickly, and leave time for questions and be very good about follow up. And oftentimes when I'm in a press briefing, I try to be the first person to ask a question because sometimes there's not enough time to get everyone's questions asked and you can tell it's it's almost like class this is the closest thing to being in class that i've had for like a decade or whatever however long it's been because some people are just like quiet like they don't want to ask anything you just tell and even if you can ask by the chat like some people just don't have any they're just uh, in there absorbing which is cool that's totally legit you can do that but i try to be the first person to ask a question often um, especially if it's something i really care about because you just may not get it answered otherwise, or you'll have to do it by email and you never know how long it's going to take when it's a, you know, a big company, despite, you know, maybe having several PR employees, uh, it can take days to have somebody get back to you. So that's why 
I try to be first. Sometimes I like to, well, often I like to take meetings and stuff in my office. Uh, but every now and then for certain things, I will go down to the studio and get everything lit up. And it's just kind of funny for the people on the other end to feel like they're talking into a YouTube video. You know, if they're, if I know they're, uh, really into the channel or something, uh, and would recognize the space, uh, then sometimes I'll do that. What's funny is though, it, you know, this studio space that I set up here, I, it's just a room. It's like a regular room. And I just put a desk in there and five cameras and a big light and, now some sand panels and uh, treated the wall. But, but yeah, I mean, it's just a room and me, like anybody else, we're, we're just normal people. You know, you kind of get to, you become familiar with the person in, on the other side of the screen. I've told you guys before, I think the reason that I got into YouTube was this dude named Chris Spooner from England who doesn't really do YouTube stuff all that much anymore. And he made some interesting vlogs and stuff. And I had a design blog and I was like, well, maybe I should do some video stuff too. Cause uh, I think Spooner's what got me into blogging also. And obviously as people find success and, uh, over invest their time over a decade or something and end up with crazy studios and stuff, which I don't know, I still don't know what I'm going to do. Even if I get a studio at some point and hire people at some point, I, I can still just film right in this room. It doesn't really matter, you know. Uh, I like this setup a lot. If you didn't know, cold coffee is my favorite. Nitro coffee is my ultimate coffee. Uh, really respect a good cup of nitro. If you go to a local place, there's often no nitro on tap because it's kind of a pain to get set up, you know. And but it's my first question every time I walk into a coffee shop. Do you have nitro? And almost expecting them to not. But when I do find it, it's like a hidden gem. And some do. And like I said, really respect it, really enjoy it. And Starbucks Nitro, you know, it's there. It's everywhere now. It's good. It's its own thing. But, you know, there's it, something about getting a local Nitro that's extra exciting. But uh, my wife got an espresso maker, not espresso, Nespresso. Got the little pods. They're the, it's not the big pods. They're the smaller pods. They're more concentrated. And so over the winter, I sort of got more acclimated to hot coffee because, you know, the way that I got into coffee in the first place was a long time ago. I had a Frappuccino and that was really sugary, but that was at a point when I couldn't get fat off of it because I was young enough <laughs> and uh, I don't know, my metabolism worked better. And now that I'm older, it's like, no, I can't just have whatever I want. It's like, you can't go to Olive Garden and just tank up on breadsticks at my age, right? Because those are more like sticks of dynamite than sticks of bread at this point. Fat bombs. But I've been getting more into hot coffee, warming to the idea, so to speak. And uh, so Nespresso is fun because there's a bunch of different flavors. And you don't have to know how to do like a real espresso machine or anything. Just pop the pot in. It's nice and hot and it's fast. And every now and then we like to order some new coffee that's, you know, there's like the staples. Um there's regional coffees, there's flavored coffees. You can get like vanilla or something, mocha. Mocha is actually not my favorite with Nespresso. And those are good. You know, that's like the normal thing. And sometimes I ice those too, just to make it more enjoyable. But man, every now and then they have some like special flavors that are limited edition. So there's a new, I think it's coconut that I tried 
Um, there was it was an iced variety. I'm not really sure what makes it ice or not. Maybe it's a little more concentrated so that by the time the ice melts a little bit, it's not all watery. That was really good. I don't know why people aren't putting more coconut flavors in their coffees around. That was actually pretty good. There was a cherry one, and it was like, and it sounds kind of gross when I say it. I'm about to say it. It was fermented something or other uh, somehow, which usually immediately turns me off to whatever the food is if it's fermented but it was like fermented cherry and that was really good i've never really had cherry flavored coffee but that was pretty cool and now i should say for those who are new around here if i don't have a nitro available and i i haven't picked up a homemade nitro thing yet because they exist but i don't know they seem like it might be kind of a pain and uh, you know i do get nitro in a can sometimes every now and then i order from verve uh, out in California, I think, and with their flash chilled nitro. That's really good. Uh, but when I don't have that, I do have just regular cold brew. It's concentrate, usually from Chameleon these days, Chameleon cold brew. It started with Grady's cold brew. Grady's cold brew really kicked off my current era of coffee drinking. Um, and I actually interviewed Grady uh, once for something on the channel. I don't even know what happened to that interview. He was really a cool guy. Some of you, like bags and bags of free cold brew. Uh to make, which was cool. Thanks, Grady. Coincidentally or not, that is also a time when I had some really bad heartburn <laughs> from drinking too much coffee. But, oh yeah, getting back into the progression. So it was like frappuccinos. And then as I got more acclimated to the taste, even though it was so sugary, then I kind of switched into uh, caramel macchiatos, I think, which were iced uh, as well for me. And that was also a sugar bomb. And eventually... Over time, I was like, I probably should drink something not quite so bad for me. And then I started getting into the latte era, so ice latte. So uh, shout out to the moment dudes uh, who are really into their ice lattes also. But, you know, I, that was like too much milk. I wanted like actual coffee. And by the way, I don't actually like milk. I never have. I can remember a long time ago in daycare, actually. I went to a, a daycare and I couldn't go like out for recess with all the other kids to play until I drank my little cup of milk and I wouldn't drink it. So I didn't get to go out because I just something about milk. I just don't like it. So these days, uh, it's not like I'm lactose intolerant. I just didn't like the flavor. But these days, uh, usually you have some kind of oat milk. I forget the exact company I'm on right now. It used to be Oatly. But then I found out there's something about the sugar in there that is like worse for, for you than you would think. So I switched to a different one. Uh, for my chameleon. But yeah, I, I eventually moved into uh, the more coffee coffee, you know, and yeah, that's been more enjoyable. And it's actually become something fun. It's like a hobby. Any town or city that you go into, you know, you can look up the local coffee place and um, it's fun to discover that because, you know, there's different flavors, different combos, just different atmospheres. A coffee shop is just a fun place to go for me. Yeah, and that is literally why I have the buy me a coffee thing um, linked up in the videos, people don't do it all that often. Sometimes I mention it and then people are like, oh, that exists. And they, it's kind of like a tip. Um, I feel kind of awkward these days mentioning it. I leave it in there though, because it's, there's something about somebody wanting to part ways with a few dollars, uh, to say thank you for the content that I've created. That just is a little bit different than somebody just saying, thanks for the video in a comment. Like if they want to go out of their way and, you know, quote unquote, buy me a coffee using that link, that just tells me that this person really did find value in 
whatever the content was that I put out and, and it lets them leave a message. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to, uh, make people think that they need to buy me a coffee to send me a message that I'll actually read or care about. That's not the case. I pretty much still look at all the comments on the YouTube videos. And by the way, very much appreciate them. Uh, you guys are the best, but I'm just saying, uh, with no offense, you know, like if somebody wants to spend $4 or whatever, it just carries a, an extra air of, of meaning with it because they went out of their way to do that. All right. That's enough chit chat for today. I think we're going to have lots to talk about in the coming episodes. I'm going to try to hit it next week and that's a tall order because I'm going to be making lots of videos. Uh, but you guys hit me up on Twitter if you want to and let me know what you're looking forward to most, uh, from our coverage, from my coverage of, of WWDC and I'll catch you in the next video or episode later.